Welcome to this episode of Rooted Recovery Stories. I'm Patrick Custer and I'm your host. I'm so excited to be here today with a spectacular country music artist, Brooke Eden. It's Pride Month and we're talking um, about so many things under that umbrella and you are one of the most beautiful souls that is using your platform to tell stories of hope, your own story of hope. And um, that's what we're here to talk about today. Oh, well, thank you. It's good to be here. Awesome. Well, so, you know, I'll say for our listeners and viewers that are used to um, our stories that we typically talk about, a lot of times they are um, very deep and very serious. And, you know, um, as we have wrapped up Mental Health Month, a lot of times we highlight how, um, you know, the seriousness and the big T traumas that people go through. And one of the themes that I'm just going to preface in your story is something that I think is very relatable to more people than they even know that there are little T traumas and there are um, things in our lives that build up that we don't even recognize. And there's a theme that we're going to get to, and I can't wait to get to it as we uh, go through your life chronologically, um, which is the best way. I love to tell a story going all the way back to the beginning. So as a little girl in your earliest memories, um, what what was your relationship to music and how did that come into your life? Yeah. Um, well, I grew up in West Palm Beach, Florida. My dad is a drummer in a country band down there. And I went to go see my cousin sing in Annie. And I came back singing all the songs, came back singing tomorrow. I was four. And my dad was like, wow, she stays on key. So um, I was like, well, you know, Annie's cool, but I want to sing Shania Twain. <laughs> so my parents got me some like uh, karaoke tracks or something back then and started playing Any Man of Mine. And uh, I think I was five the first time my dad was like, do you want to come and sing with the band at the bar? <laughs> so yeah, I started singing in the honky tonks in my hometown um, at like age five. And I still remember going into this bar and getting to sing and based on what song I sang, it would change the mood of the people there. And I just, I was always connected to that capability of being able to, um, you know, affect people and also affect myself and the way that music does that. And um, yeah, so it just, it started so young. My first memories are singing and uh, it just kind of grew from there. My hometown really kind of took me in as their country little singer and I ended up getting to open for like Brooks and Dunn and Alan Jackson and kind of all the country acts Sarah Evans uh, when they would come through West Palm they would kind of call me up and see if I would open and stuff so uh, I was really lucky to be fostered in that way that's so cool and so um such a beautiful way of explaining uh the simplicity of music being something that there, there really isn't anything that compares to the conduit that it is for creating a shift yeah, emotionally, mentally, physically for so many people um, in all different levels. Totally. I think there's a lot of things that you can say in music that you wouldn't be able to say in conversation without mm. getting into some kind of like heated debate. You can say those things in music and it reaches people in a different way. 
I never really thought about it that way, <laughs> but that's true, especially as we've come out of, um, in my lifetime anyway, the most divisive last uh, seven years, six years. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it doesn't matter what circle, what your belief systems are or what circles you're in. Um, I think anybody would agree that we've we've been in in a very heated time. And yeah, um, for sure. So that's a, what a great way to put it, that that a song can can do something that a conversation can't. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, and conversations are, are really hard right now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is is just based on media. You know, people are getting such polarized versions of stories. And I'm always like, there has to be something in the middle that's true, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. because it's so radical on both sides right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, can we all just like be people and talk about the fact that we all really want the same things in life, Yeah, which is the opportunity to love, the opportunity to have freedom and like the opportunity to have food in on your plate and a roof over your head. Mm-hmm. I mean, when it comes down to the basics of things, that's all that anybody really wants. And I mm-hmm. think that that's a very commonality between every single person. So if we could just get to a place where that's equal for everyone, I think that most people would agree to that, mm-hmm. but there's so much polarization on both sides that people think that they're on one side and their family members are on the complete opposite. When if we could just come together and, you know, come to a more common place of um, need, human mm-hmm. need for certain things, I think that we would all be able to get along much better. Mm, so true. And I think that like when we have these discussions of, uh, oh gosh, stories, this is one of my favorite things about our podcast and stories in general. Um, they, you know, while we're talking about your story, um, we're, we're, when we elevate your voice or anyone else's, we're providing a space for community to happen because people connect with you, whether you realize it or not. Um, one person or however many thousands that are going to view or listen to this and then identify and relate. Um, there's so much power in that process, whether it's through song or conversation. Totally. Um, and so, yeah, hope for, hope for positive change is definitely, yes. uh, there. So, so moving forward, um, through your life, you, at what point transitioned from opening for people and do, doing more, right? Like there, there had to be in a place where you realized you wanted to pivot. Yeah. Well, I always wanted to move to Nashville, but it was just not a possibility for my family. Mm -hmm. And so I always just knew like, you know, once I finished school, I would move to Nashville. So I went to university of Florida, graduated with a business degree and literally I, I moved home for like nine months to save up money to move to Nashville because I'm like, I don't have a job when I get up there. I don't want to have a nine to five job when I get up there. I have a business degree, but I also knew that if I got into business, I would wrap myself into whatever I was getting myself into. And I wanted to be able to fully focus on music. Mm. So I moved back to West Palm after I graduated and I started, um, bartending at a line dancing bar. Our local line dancing bar is called Renegades. And I've been going there since, I mean, I opened for like Craig Morgan there wow. <laughs> when I was, uh, I don't know, maybe 10. 
And it's been one of those staples in our hometown for Mm -hmm. forever. And um, I started bartending there and learned how to bartend. I mean, learned how to line dance and um, had so much fun doing that. And I was like, okay, this is super fun, but I can't really like move to Nashville on this amount of money. And so I ended up playing a just like, three hour show at a bar one night and that turned into playing five nights a week. So I had gigs and tiki bars and honky tonks in my hometown five nights a week for like three to four hours a night, which was wild. It was like a really good way to just like jump into really being able to hone in on my craft. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's all uh, your, your voice is a muscle. Mm-hmm. So I was able to build up my muscle and I mean, singing for four hours for anyone can be difficult, but then once you start doing it, it's kind of like you become like a vocal bodybuilder, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so I saved up enough money to move to Nashville in about nine months. And then I moved here and I would spend like two weeks here in Nashville and then fly home to West Palm and spend two weeks down there doing shows. And that was how I was able to like not have a nine to five job. I just did music 24 seven. So when I was up here, I would write, you know, go to all the winners and losers and all the places, uh, downtown and, and midtown here in Nashville and just network. Then I would fly home and, and get to sing. So it was like a really cool way for me to figure out my voice and what it is that I wanted to say and all those things. And yeah, I had been living here part-time for two years when I got signed to uh, BBR, to BMG, my my record label, which it was just BBR at the time. Mm-hmm and got my publishing deal and how all that happened was um sugarland love sugarland i love sugarland yeah uh they had a contest where they would go through um and you would you would send in uh auditions mm-hmm. for the song baby girl and every town they had someone from their hometown sing baby girl with sugarland on stage so i was like i have a million videos of me doing this at tiki bars yeah so I um, turned in the video and ended up getting to, I won the contest or whatever to get to sing with Sugarland at like our big amphitheater in West Palm. So that video ended up going semi-viral at the time and my record label got a hold of it. And that's how I ended up getting my record deal. How cool. Yeah. Kismet is the word that I'm thinking of. There's so much um, surrounding this day and you and I feel like your trajectory that is just like the stars aligning and um, things that are meant to be. Um, And I just feel like there's a lot of that energy surrounding you and your story. I feel that way. I totally feel that way. And, uh, you know, I've been here for 11 years now in Nashville. So it's really wild because I do feel like there are so many things that have been serendipitous Mm -hmm. for me here and divine in a way. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I really just am loving this part of, of life. Yeah. Yeah. I love to hear that. Um, so, you know, and I, where we bring this in, it's, you know, cause it's, it's a thread that's woven through many of our stories and it's, you know, where it begins. Some of us don't know because it's a voice that, 
we weren't necessarily hearing whenever it started to speak up. So um, at what point did you know that you were gay? Uh, That's a really interesting question because I would say that even as a little kid, like my earliest memories, I remember thinking like, what's the difference between kissing a boy or kissing a girl? Mm. Like if you love that person or if you like, think that person is cool and interesting and they think that you're cool and interesting like what does it matter Mm. right so I remember being little I like thought that boys and girls were cute when I was little and then I went to a Baptist Christian school and I learned that I'm a girl so I'm only allowed to like boys is that a message that was also, sorry to interrupt you, but no. is that a message that was also reflected and reinforced in your immediate social and family circle or was it just a school thing? Um, I would say that it was something that my family circle and like immediate circle was completely unaware of. Hmm. So it wasn't something like I never talked to my parents about like, ooh, I have a crush on this girl or whatever. It was like I was so little, I didn't even know what a crush was. Mm -hmm. I just knew that I felt the same about like a boy versus a girl. Sure. And then I went to school and that was the first time that I had anyone tell me that I wasn't allowed to like girls. Mm. So that's where I... I, you know, I became very indoctrinated into this thinking of just heterosexual culture. Mm -hmm. And I always just thought like something was wrong with me because you too. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I was dating these like wonderful dudes, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, um, I was like, it's fun, like kissing you. But like, I just couldn't get to like a deep emotional connection with them that I was searching for. Mm -hmm. And it was, I just felt like, you know, they were so quick to say like, I love you. I want to be with you forever. And I was like, whoa, cowboy, you know, like this is a little too fast for me. This is, uh, like I just wasn't there. Yeah. And I kept on, like, I would look at my friends and be like, I want that. Like, I want to see, like, I want to feel what my friends feel with their boyfriends. I just never did. And so I kind of thought I was broken. I thought there was something wrong with me. And then I was in, um, my twenties, my early twenties, And I was like, oh, wait, I don't have the constructs of like what I had when I was a kid anymore. And I fell in love with a girl. And I was like, oh, I like the beginning of that sentence. I fell in love Mm -hmm. was the first time that I ever was able to say that. Like I had never been in love before. And And you didn't know until it, it happened. actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't know. I didn't know until it happened. It wasn't something I was looking for at all. Mm-hmm. It was just like, it was just bam in front of me. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, yeah, this is different. And there's actually nothing wrong with me at all. And I'm actually not broken. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was like, you know, a, such a light bulb moment for me was like, there's nothing wrong with you. You're actually like completely okay. You just, hadn't been dating in the circle that the pool of people that you could actually create a connection with. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's, that's a hard question for me to answer, but. Oh, I felt like you answered it quite great actually. Um, and you know, 
so my follow-up to that Mm -hmm. that I feel like is so apropos is, is you outlined this narrative that so many of us have in our heads about whether you're talking about your sexuality or, um, what you're perceived, um, in the community around us as we're raised are the appropriate social norms for how, for us to behave or for how we're supposed to be. And so at this point, you know, you've had the, these messages that have created this narrative for you. Mm -hmm. Um, and all of a sudden you realize like, wait a second, I'm outside of my reality is actually outside of what this narrative has always been. And so did you consciously acknowledge that and start seeking how to flip the script? What was it that propelled you, um, into, uh, mm, making a change and, uh, looking towards identifying, you know, differently. So I had one girlfriend before I met my wife Mm -hmm. and, I, I'm an only child and I grew up, my parents were very young when they had me 24 and 27. And so I grew up very, very close with my mom. And so my mom was kind of like my God in a way, Mm. (laughs) in the sense that like kind of whatever my mom said is like what I would do. Oh yeah. You know, like, you know how parents are kind of like the know all be all. And you're just like, whatever you say is probably, probably right. Mm -hmm. You know? So I was like dating this girl and it was just, it was so new to me. And I was, I didn't know what to think about it kind of. And I also, I knew that things felt different with her, but I also didn't feel forever with her. Hmm. And my mom asked like, are you dating this person? And I said, yes. And my mom's reaction was so negative. It was really, really hard for years. Mm -hmm. And eventually she came around and she came around in a really big way. She also flipped the script. So she, I mean, she spoke at our wedding. She is mine and Hillary's biggest fan. Um, And it's really beautiful to watch people change because they see the change that they need to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so she went from being very adverse to uh, me being gay to like being the greatest mama bear. So that, that all goes to say, you know, when you come out to your family, it can be really, really hard. And there were years when I thought this is never going to change. Yeah. This, they're not going to accept me. And then they do. During the time that you dated your first girlfriend, Mm -hmm. had you slightly been out to your inner circle or were you just, no, I was, I was kind of like, like I said, I just thought I was broken. Okay. I didn't know yeah. that I was like gay and just mm-hmm. like kissing boys for fun. Like, I did not know that. And up, I mean, up until I met my wife, I still was like, I don't know if I like boys or girls, you know, like I didn't, I knew that I felt more comfortable with my girlfriend than I had ever felt with my boyfriends. But I also was like, if the right guy came along, who knows? I don't know. I think I fall in love with a person Mm -hmm. and not necessarily with the gender. I don't care about gender, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, I am married to a woman. And so I identify as being gay. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it was it was really hard going back and trying to date boys when I was like trying to, you know, figure out my sexuality. It was just hard. It was going hard going back and forth. And then when I met my wife, Hillary, everything changed mm. because it was um, it, it was so clear to me. This is it. Like, this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. Like, hands down, no question. How did y'all meet? <laughs> That's a funny question. Uh, we met, she was a rep at my record label. Awesome. So, yeah, we were stuck on a tour bus with each oh. other for like a week. And we just got to know each other. And I felt like I, when I first met her, I was like, oh, new soul sister mm -hmm. right like this is someone that i like connect so deeply with and by like day three i was like nope i do not feel this way about my friends this is different um and luckily she felt the same way um but yeah that was interesting to navigate working with the person that you fall in love with mm -hmm. um she eventually was moved teams because of a conflict of interest sure and then she ended up going to work for um Garth Brooks and Trisha Yearwood. And so... What a hard gig. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty fun. It was pretty fun. But yeah, that's how we met. And it was it was crazy because at the time in country music, I mean, we've been together for seven and a half years now. Wow. So at the time in country music, no one had come out since mm -hmm. Shelly and Ty. Mm -hmm. And we know how they were met. Yeah. They were met with opposition and... Um, outcasted in a lot of ways and mm -hmm. um, it was you know when I talked to my team about like hey I'm in love with this person it was very much like you can be in a relationship in your own house um, and nowhere else and that was very hard for me again I um, came out to my mom again she negative react, negatively reacted again. And at that point, I was like, that is your own issue that you need to deal with because this is my person. This is who I am and who I will be. And nobody is going to tell me that I can't be with this person. Hands, the, that's it. Yeah. And so I think that me finally choosing myself and not just doing everything that my mom told me to do mm -hmm. was kind of like the first step in me becoming my own person to begin with mm -hmm. and also figuring out who I was and how I identified. How long was it between coming out and feeling like there was the script flipped and you were in a positive place? Yeah. Um, it took my mom four and a half years mm -hmm. from the first time I told her that I was dating a girl to her fully accepting me for who I was. Um, and some of my family members, it took longer than that. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, if my family members never ended up accepting me, mm -hmm. it would be really hard. But you create your own family at that point. And I think that, you know, I get asked that a lot. I get people who reach out to me and say, hey, you know, will this ever get better? Mm -hmm. Because it's so bad right now. Yeah. And I have been in that spot. I have been crying on the bathroom floor because of that. And um, 
My answer is most of the time, yes, but not always. Mm -hmm. And if it's the not always part, I want these people to know that there is such a huge loving community that we are, that they are a part of, that will take them in and will support them and they will create their own family because that's what they deserve and that's what we all deserve. Absolutely. You know, my experience was um, a bit the same, probably around the same timeline with both of my parents. And during that time, I had to find what we refer to as chosen family. Yes. And, um, you know, I still have family members that are uh, in that category of, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And uh, so, but defining chosen family, I think, is something so important that we and it doesn't matter if you're in an LGBTQ umbrella or not is, totally. uh, you know, a beautiful thing, but especially for those of us who are, um, I think a very, very important and impactful tool to have. And, um, you know, when you have a commonality that binds you, I don't know, there's a bond that's easier to create with yes. those people yes. and especially allies. I think that, um, Many people would be so surprised to find out how many strong allies there are out there that literally just want to be in your life to love and support you because of who you are and knowing that you need that love. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's so many others that are like you as well Mm -hmm. that have gone through a lot of the same journeys that you've gone through Mm -hmm. that you don't have to explain yourself. It's just like, yeah, we've all kind of gone through things like this. And it's all, it's also another point of this is, uh, you know, religion plays a huge role in our community. And I would say that like 99% of people that uh, gay people that I've met and spoken with are like, well, I grew up in the church, you know, and it's so funny because the other side of things are like, I've had fans say to me, I'm a Christian, but I support you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, no. There's no but. I'm a Christian, and therefore I support you. Yes. And to me, I'm like, Jesus was like the wokest person on this planet. Heck you know, yeah. like, yep. like Jesus loves me, this I know, and that does not change no matter what. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's just like so interesting to me when I have people that say that because it happens a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's like a lot of them are like, well, you know, in the Bible, it says that it says Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And I'm like, thank you so much. You know what? I went to a Christian school my whole life, but thank you for the lesson. Right. I did not know. You know what I mean? It also says judge, judge not yet, yet lest ye be judged. Very and cheap. the greatest of these is love. So let's go yes, from there. Exactly, um, exactly. You know, I can't help but think that your music, um, country music tends to have such a, um, I mean, a relevance and an appreciation in many small towns. Mm-hmm. Um, also big towns, yeah. But but many small towns where um, our population um, under the rainbow under the rainbow umbrella, um, you know, we're experience many of the hurdles that we're talking about. Yes, feeling isolated. Oh, those yes. Things and so um, I think 
all the more reason why, again, I'm just so grateful that you're using your platform. You followed your voice. You've said, I'm going to take up the space I deserve and I'm going to, you know, pave the pathway to help create space for, for all those other people as well. You know, I wanted to, um, ask if there was a specific, uh, was there a specific thing or cadence of events that changed, um, for your mom? that kind of like made her heart soften? I think it was us just continually showing up. Mm -hmm. Um, Hillary came home with me from the day that we started dating. So at first she was just my friend. My friend came to Thanksgiving, Christmas and all the holidays for like three years Mm -hmm. (laughs) before we finally came out. Um, Actually, my aunt, like out at us one year at Thanksgiving and we were like, okay, I guess it's time to tell the family. Here we go. Um, Oh, that's fun. Yeah. It was very interesting, but I think that it was, my mom finally saw our relationship Mm -hmm. and not the stigma of our relationship. She saw us take care of each other. She saw us, um, just work so well together and like just the real relationship. And I think that, she, um, I, I remember having this realization. We were coming home for Easter. She said, Brooke, are you coming home for Easter? And I said, yeah, uh, I think Hillary and I are both coming home. She was like, but people are going to find, figure it out. Like your family's going to figure it out. And I just said, good. And I think that that was her realizing, like I was comfortable now mm-hmm. with my family figuring it out. And I also think it took her realizing that there was no amount of manipulation or guilt or shame that was going to change who I was or who I was with. That phrase right there is so powerful and so impactful and something that I think we all at some point to self-act fully self-actualize we have to embrace that yes if you need to rewind your whatever you're listening or watching this on listen to what she just said again because once you get to that point you will be able to take up that space that you deserve you will be able to enforce the boundaries that are needed and break the barriers in your life that are keeping you from living fully true and authentic preach I feel like I'm at church. So great. (laughs) This podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health. If you or a loved one are struggling with trauma, addiction, or mental health, we are ready to answer your questions and help you take that next step. Call our admission center at 888-648-4098 or visit us online at www.promises.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. Yeah, it's it's just at the time back then, um, we were told we had to stay in the closet. Right. And I remember was... just to, to, to note there, so many people, um, even people who would consider themselves allies, I remember yeah. saying, you know, Shelly and Ty, they did it too soon. They, you know, and they, they, they should have waited. They, you know, whatever. And I, I look at that and I think, you know, they were paving the way for oh, totally. you 
and the Absolutely. others. And um, Osborne, what's his first name? TJ. TJ, yes. Um, TJ Osborne. I mean, you know, so many people who have been, had the safety to come out now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in the realm that yes. country music is um, so much more accepting today than it was. Oh, yeah. It, I, I mean, and I stayed in the closet for five years with mm. my wife, who wasn't my wife at the time. She, her big, like, we knew we wanted to get married within, I mean, I want to say six weeks, but like maybe fully like three months. I mean, we knew this is my person. Yeah. And she was like, I have one parameter, and that is that we get engaged once you're ready to be out mm. because I don't want to be a secret as your wife. And I was, I was like, that's completely fair. Yeah. And so we stayed in the closet for five years. And when I eventually, it was during the pandemic, I was, um, reading a book called untamed by Glennon yeah. Doyle. Such a great book. <laughs> if you haven't read it, like you gotta read it. Yep. Um, but I was reading this book and, you know, kind of all of the bullshit of everything in the entertainment industry mm-hmm. was gone because we're all literally just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. And I realized I just had this like epiphany moment. I was reading a paragraph that she wrote about integrity and she was like, you know, integrity basically defined is when you are to the world who you are in your house Mm. and it hit me like a ton of bricks just wow I'm living my life with no integrity that doesn't make me a good person being in the closet doesn't make me a better person Mm -hmm. being in the closet makes me half of a person Mm. a shell of a human and I just remember looking at Hill and being like babe, I just, I just read this paragraph and I have to come out. And she was like, well, holy hell, <laughs> like, it's about damn time. And, um, I called my management and called my record label and I was like, y'all, I need to come out. I had just recorded three love songs. Was this 20, what, what this year is was it? This is 2020, um, 2020, it was 2020. Oh, that year. Yeah. <laughs> that year was like pivotal for a lot of yeah. people in, in our situation, I mm-hmm. think. And, um, I just was like, I called my team and my team was so supportive and they were just like, amazing. We're going to have to find the right way to do this. Are you okay? If the industry doesn't accept you. And I said, yes. I was like, I am not able to continue to function as a human Mm -hmm. without this. I can't put out this music and like act like it's about a boy or uh, no, this, I'm not doing this anymore. It doesn't make me a better person to be in the closet. What am I doing with my life? This is my life. Mm -hmm. So if they don't like it, then I'm going to have to figure that out. But I know who I am now and I'm not going to make any, I'm not going to try to create comfort for other people while I'm so dis so uncomfortable in Mm. my own body and in my own mind. And so when I went, sorry. Oh no, go ahead. I'm when I went to the record label and to my team and was like, you know, I want to do this. They just helped me with tools 
on how to do that. We reached out to Glad. They, you know, just helped navigate this journey with me. Mm. And I didn't know how country music was going to react. You know, nobody had come out in 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I came out in January of 2021. And two weeks after I came out, TJ Osborne had his article in Time Magazine about coming out. And I was just like, this is amazing. And since we've had so many country artists finally feel like they're able to be a country artist Mm -hmm. and also be gay. Mm -hmm. And it's just been really, really cool to watch people that should have always been able to be here Mm -hmm. be welcomed. Can I ask a question that I think stuck out for me? Yeah. So when you're talking about actually coming out and the beginning, that journey with Hillary through the end of 2020 to 2021. Yeah. You had tears welling up? Yeah. I'm just curious, as someone that hasn't gone through that, what is the emotion behind those tears? Is it a, is it a release? It's, like yeah. A release? Is it joy? Is it sadness for the person that you were? What did that emote for you? I'm, go- I'm like going to cry as I talk about it because I'm just so happy to be where I am now. I'm just so happy um, to not be in that sad place anymore. Um, and I'm just happy to be able to live my life as me. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'm happy for you. <laughs> we're, we're happy for you. Yes. Yeah, no, it's not sadness. It's actually like, it's just so much happy in there. It's, I think that it's just like healing. Mm-hmm. And when you heal, I feel like Shakti yoga is just right around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> And I will cry sometimes in yoga just because it's just like a release of Mm -hmm. all the things. But um, yeah, when you heal through something, it it sometimes comes out as like happy tears for me. So yeah, it makes me emotional to just know that I get to live my life in my way. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me so happy that you like we're in a space now to to just be open enough to express that, to share yeah. your, your tears of healing. Somebody was asking yeah. me the other day, they were like, do you go to the pride parade? And I'm like, yes. And I cry the whole time. <laughs> and, you know, it's I, if you had asked me that 10 years ago, I'd have been like, yeah, I go and I cry. And it's a lot of times from sad places. But now yeah. I go and I cry because. <laughs> what you're talking about because it's tears of healing i mean i re-experience that sense of connection and vulnerability in our community and the allies that show up totally totally it's so important to i i think it's i think it's being grateful Mm -hmm. because i think about my life now Mm -hmm. and how just i think if there was one word to describe my life it would be happy Mm -hmm. and to look back at my, myself seven years ago and to just know that I didn't even know what that word meant. Yeah. You truly flipped the script. <laughs> yeah. In a big way. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think that um, I think about the people who 
still haven't had this, like yeah. still haven't had their own come to Jesus within themselves. Um, and all the hurt that they feel. And I think that it just sometimes comes out in, in tears for them too. Yeah. But I also think that, you know, so much of this is about, um, so much of this is about visibility mm-hmm. and representation mm-hmm. and knowing that there are other people out there that are like them. Yeah. To know that they're allowed to be themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Whew. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so deep. Sorry. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. <laughs> Gosh, on so many elements of what we walk through, um, whether whether we're in music or have a platform um, of country, no matter what, um, in the LGBTQ plus community of um, facing stigma, um, where if not in a surrounding that is fully accepting already, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to talk about how all of the things that you described affect a person's mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Mm-hmm. And when something affects our mental, emotional, and spiritual health um, in a way that we ignore it long enough, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked about how it goes physical. So yeah. um, I wonder if you could share a little bit about how that played out for you and um, what you did with it. Yeah. So I started to realize, uh, actually, usually before I would go on stage, I would throw up and it wasn't from, um, nerves. Mm -hmm. I've been singing since I was little singing to me is like breathing. It's not something I usually get nervous about. And I also almost passed out on stage twice. Wow. So I was like, something's going on. I went to my doctor and um, my, I, they found out that I had anemia so badly that I had to go and get a blood transfusion that day at Vanderbilt hospital. Wow. And it turns out that, um, after six years of, they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I had four colonoscopies, two endoscopies, um, an exploratory stomach surgery. And I eventually had this capsule pill that, it's a camera and you swallow it. Oh yeah. And it's really cool. And uh, they found out that I had ulcers in my small intestine. And my doctor was basically like, listen, this is from stress. Mm -hmm. What is going on? Other than this, you're an extremely healthy person. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I had been internalizing, not being able to be myself for the last I guess it was six years um, and I had been, and I ended up making myself sick. Mm. I had ulcers that if it weren't for first world medicine and being able to have iron infusions and blood transfusions, I would not be alive today. And it was just this manifestation of all of these stressors in my life, you know, all I ever wanted to be was a country artist. 
Then I meet the love of my life who so happens to be a woman. Then I'm told that I'm not allowed to be a country artist and be in love with this person, but I'm absolutely in love with this person and I'm absolutely a country artist. So what the hell am I supposed to do? And so I was just living this double life of like, you know, I remember putting out songs that were about girls that I had to talk about like they were about guys Mm -hmm. to country radio just in general it was just like yeah just take all the pronouns that you would normally say and just turn it to he Mm -hmm. and it was just it's just such an uncomfortable way of living and you're so worried about saying the wrong pronoun or saying the wrong thing or being in the wrong company or whatever it might be that all of that stress just got taken right here Mm. and turned into ulcers. And, um, I was really, really sick. I had to get off the road. I had to stop touring. Um, and I just had to get right with myself. What did that look like for you? You know, there's never been a time in my life when I wasn't singing, Mm -hmm. when I wasn't, you know, using my creative ability to reach people and, Mm create music and I just basically realized I'm not going to be able to be on stage. I'm not going to be able to tour, but I still have to write music. And so, um, it was at this point that, um, there was a change in my team where basically they came to me knowing that I was with Hillary and said, Hey, we want you to be yourself. And I was like, what? Explain, define that clearly, please. Like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, you're allowed to be gay in country music now. And I'm like, what? They're like, put Hillary in your music videos. We don't care. And I'm like, what? You know, I had spent all these years figuring out what it was like to not be myself. And then I had to unlearn all those things and Mm -hmm. figure out how to be myself all over again. And, um... I took advantage of that and just ended up going and writing just every day. I think I probably wrote 300 songs. Wow. In maybe two and a half years. And I was really just like searching for my voice Mm -hmm. and how do I get to talk about my journey and make it relatable to country fans? How do I take, you know, this pain and turn it into something that someone can heal from. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. I just dug into music. Um, and since I came out, I've put out my favorite music I've ever put out. And I feel like I'm now just starting to actually be able to write from that place because I'm healed now. Mm. So beautiful. You know, Oftentimes we talk about um, from the the aspect of um, healing from whether it's addiction, mental health issues, trauma, um, there's a discrepancy, um, an incongruency between, you know, like our inside self and our outside self, which you've described. Mm-hmm. And so like that pathway of finding authenticity so that, like you said, your insides match your outsides, yeah. who you are at home is who you are when you're outside. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody's journey on how they get there is different. Mm -hmm. I think it's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things I talk about so often is like, uh, when we realize that one of the best ways to connect with other people is through sharing our brokenness. And um, 
we really find uh, some of the most beautiful ways to connect because uh, that's, I mean, who cares about how perfect you are? Ew. Right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, but like who wants, like nobody even wants that. That's not even relatable. Like nobody's perfect. Uh, Even, you know, the people that you think are the most perfect are usually like the most broken, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's just such like a, an empathy and going through what we've gone through that you see, you know, you see people in different ways and you see brokenness as beauty and because it creates spaces for people to truly become themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes it takes, you know, something as painful as our situations Mm -hmm. to like really figure out who you are. And it's just, I'm, I can't believe that I'm saying this, but I'm so grateful to have gone through the journey that I've been on Mm -hmm. because I mean, seven years ago, I didn't know who the hell I was. Right. And now I know exactly who I am. And I think that knowing who you are allows other people to uh, explore who they are. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just gives people permission to like be themselves. And that's such a incredible thing to witness. It is. Well, and something too, that I feel like y- you're humble and wouldn't take credit for this, but I think that, um, your, you, Ty, Shelly, TJ, um, and so many others are by, you know, sharing your truths, um, opening the door for people to get to this space sooner. Um, I can't take credit for this saying, but it's so powerful and I love to reference it because when change is needing to happen in our lives, no matter what we're talking about, it says, you know, until the pain of, uh, staying the same hurts worse than the pain of changing, then I'll change. Uh, I mean, and yes. yeah, a dramatic pause. Cause it has to like process and set in if this is the first time you've ever heard that, but you know, for so many of us, we can relate and identify, um, to that when a pivotal change has needed to take place in our lives. And, um, wow. Yeah. Like you, take me to church, honey. Like, <laughs> yes, it's so good. Yeah. Your story is such a shining example of that. And I think where you are today and what you're doing to use that, um, is, so powerful. Speaking of, you've got something coming out very soon, which yes. is um, kind of highlights that uh, narrative. Yeah. I'd love to, for you yeah. to share that with our audience. I have an EP coming out on June 9th called Outlaw Love, and it's named after one of the songs um, from the project called Outlaw Love. And yeah, basically, you know, there's so much legislation that is attacking the LGBTQ plus community right now. Mm-hmm. And I just wish that these people would let us all just live. It's not asking so much. And the song is just basically, you can say whatever you want to say and do whatever you want to do. But at the end of the day, you cannot outlaw outlaw being in love with someone you cannot take away the joy that love brings and that's all the message is really about and it's so funny that you know 
that's even seen as being outlaw-ish, mm-hmm. but it is. And uh, the EP is four songs, and it goes from the beginning of my relationship with Hillary to our first dance song at our wedding, and kind of takes you through that journey. And so uh, I'm this project is the one I'm most excited about. It's the deepest I've ever gone. Um, and it's the realist. So I'm so excited about it. I'm excited too. Can't wait to hear it. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got a couple, um, uh, rapid fire questions for you. And this okay. one, uh, it's actually, Brooke doesn't know what these are, right? No. So <laughs> I, but the first one I really would love to hear is what's your favorite thing about Hillary? My favorite thing about Hillary, oh, her brain. Hmm. She's incredibly intuitive and um, smart. And with that, she's like the best friend to everyone. And um, she just makes life easier. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Who has um, made the biggest impact on your career recently? Ooh, who has made the biggest impact on my career recently? As far as like, I mean, probably Hillary. Yeah. Just because, you know, before I met her, I had never written a love song. Mm -hmm. And now all my songs are love songs. And it's, she has allowed me to open up my heart and my um, songwriting skills in a way that was never there in the past. Um, she's also, you know, when we, she's also on the business side of music. So she has the other half of my brain. I'm the creative side. I mean, I went to school for business, but she's really been on the business side of things for a long time. So I love to run things by her. She has a really good ear for music. She'll tell me when a song is great. And she'll also tell me when a song sucks. And I love having that honesty and like knowing that it comes from such a good place. Yeah. Awesome. Um, if you had to name uh, three people, world's your oyster to collaborate with uh, today. Ooh. Who's on the, just who comes to your brain first? Lady Gaga. Love it. Um, I would love to do something with TJ mm-hmm. Osborne at some point. Maybe Miley Cyrus. Oh. I, I love all those answers. A really cool, like, <laughs> yeah. country collab yeah. with Miley. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know Miley, but I feel like she'd love that too. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. It'd be really so, fun. yeah. Um, all right. So, final question for you. You know, for, for the person or people out there that have uh, tuned in to this episode and just said, you know, on, any any scale whatsoever i've identified with um the pain grief healing journey um that you've shared Mm -hmm. what what words of encouragement would you like to leave with them um i would say keep on swimming um i know that there are so many times during this journey where you think um will this ever get better Mm -hmm. And my answer to that is as long as you stay true to yourself and stay on the path that your gut tells you to go on, it will get better. And that doesn't necessarily mean with your family. Sometimes your family will never accept who you are. 
it means finding if that means finding a community outside of that, then you find your community outside of that because there are communities for you there mm-hmm. and never give up um, because it will get better. Beautiful. I couldn't put it better myself. My goodness. <laughs> um, last question for you. Is there anything uh, other than your EP coming up that we need to watch out for in the land of Brook Eden? Hmm. Um, I have some shows coming up. Oh, exciting. Yes. Um, are you able to talk share about them? Yeah. I don't know when this airs. When okay. does this air? This is you know? airing in June, so pride, during Pride Month. Do you know when in June? No. Nope. there's a lot happening in June. Oh, gosh. So I'm like, where do I start? Hmm? Yeah. Do you need it to be later in the month? No, or? like earlier in the month. So oh, okay. Like, we'll, just because we'll air her in the beginning of June then. Whatever you want, and we'll figure out yeah. when it makes sense. Well, and we'll want to make sure that we put this out before your EP um, right. Okay. And that's anyway. June 9th. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Cool. All right. Um, yeah. June 7th, I'm singing here in Nashville at the concert for love and acceptance on June 9th, the day that my EP comes out, I'm singing at CMA fest. Um, I'm singing at Kentuckiana pride. I feel redneck just saying that word. Uh, but it's in, it's in Louisville. Love it. And I'll also be at the Opry on uh, June 24th as well. So lots of June June stuff happening. So cool. I'm going to yeah. be at that show for um, Love the and concert. Acceptance. Yes, Yay. I am. Third row back. So Oh, you already have your seats. Yeah. I love it. I got love a, it. Got a full table. So um, I'm excited to be there and support and be a part of the cause. It's Absolutely. Love Ty and that whole organization. Oh, so Ty, yeah. he's the best. Yeah. Um, he's a, a veteran alumni from our podcast as well. So he's going to, he'll probably be coming back here soon to revisit. Oh, um, I love yeah. it. He's so. always got something to say. He sure does. He really does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time being here today. This has been literally just such a pleasant delight to talk to you and get to know you better. Thank you, Patrick. It was the same. And um, just so happy to get to get deep and talk about the realness of the world and everything that we go through to get to where we are. Absolutely. Well, with that, I will close out in saying that if you are someone that is struggling in any way, shape or form, um, the first place to go is asking for help maybe telling somebody that you trust. Um, If it's a mental health issue, if it might be addiction, um, we've got resources in the show notes that you can access and, um, and, and reach out in many different ways to ask for and accept help. And we hope that you stay tuned to our future episodes, subscribe, like, uh, share, and keep coming back. And with that, um, I will remind each and every one of you that it is never too late to start loving yourself and you're only ever one decision away from a completely different life. This podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health. If you or a loved one are struggling with trauma, addiction, or mental health, we are ready to answer your questions and help you take that next step. Call our admission center at 888-648-4098 or visit us online at www.promises.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help.